support for this podcast comes from Insincorator. Insincorator is the world leader in food waste disposers and holds over 200 patents on fine grinding and quiet technology innovations. Based and assembled here in the United States, Insincorator produces the popular Badger series and can offer many upgraded disposers, such as a Pro series built for plumbers and builders to meet the needs of the more demanding customer. Visit Insincorator.com to learn more. In order to sell a business, it has to be profitable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to buy a business that's not making money. Right. Because the way you look at that is, how am I going to pay for this business? Mm-hmm. And you have to pay for it out of the profits of the company. Sure. So if you're going to buy a business and it's not making any profit, how are you going to make those payments? So it has to be a well-run, well-organized, profitable business for anybody to even look at it. Welcome to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys, share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. Today, you're going to listen to a conversation I had with Steve Huff, formerly of Steve Huff Plumbing in Kingsport, Tennessee. I say formerly because Steve, along with his lovely wife, Donna, sold a business just a few months ago to their general manager, the talented Nick Martin, who, as you will hear, has done wonders in growing the company over the last several years. You know, at SGI, we talk to contractors about achieving their goals and achieving their dreams. And the ultimate goal for many is to sell their business and live an amazingly comfortable life. And that's what Steve and Donna have accomplished. And over the next 40 minutes, I talked to Steve about this 40-year journey as business owners they took. Uh, we talk about how Steve and Donna turned a struggling Steve Huff plumbing around in the early 2000s. We talk about Steve's role as a mentor to other contractors in the organization. But what we spend a significant amount of time discussing is the X's and O's of how Steve and Donna found their successor, Nick, trained him, allowed him to flourish, and then how they sold the business to him. I really enjoyed my time with Steve, and I hope you will as well. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for uh, for all your time. I know um, you know you are enjoying retirement now, but as you you said to me off air, that you've got you're busier now maybe than ever. So, uh, for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you at a, a profit day or an EP or an expo or summit way back when, could you share with everyone your uh, your name, your company name or former company name, and uh, where you're located? Yes, my name is Steve Huff. I'm the uh ex-owner of Steve Huff Plumbing. We're located in Kingsport, Tennessee, which is in the upper northeast corner of Tennessee, where Tennessee, Virginia, and North Carolina come together. Very good, very good. And and Steve Huff Plumbing had grown to, or is was it what point last year in terms of revenue and how many trucks you were rolling? Um, last year, I'm not sure, probably six trucks and around three million. Mm-hmm. And this year it's nine trucks closing in on four. That's awesome. That's that's fantastic. And and uh, as I kind of tip my hand uh, leading into the call, we are we are talking because uh, so often at SGI we we talk to contractors about you know how to build their business to a point where they can sell it and and retire comfortably. And you are living that dream. And and so we wanted to I wanted to have you on to talk about that transition. Uh, but, but before we get into that a bit. Um, I always think there's a lot of value in learning how people got get to where they are, and, and I'd like to know your your backstory and share it with everyone else. So uh, let's let's go the way back machine. Uh, can you share with everyone how did you originally originally get in the plumbing trade, Steve? Well, when I was in high school, 
anytime I was out of school, I was looking for work. I was doing something. Mm -hmm. And I got a job uh, during the summer and uh, at Christmas break or whatever with a, with a plumbing company. Okay. And during that period working for them then, I found out plumbing was something I really enjoyed doing and I was really good at. Okay. So when I graduated high school... In 1970, I went to work for them the next day and worked for them for four and a half years. Okay. And then I got uh, laid off because things got slow. And then I, I'm not one to sit around and do nothing. So I said, well, I'll just go ahead and start my own company. Okay. So in uh, April 1975 is the official date, starting date of Steve Huff Plumbing. Okay. And at that time, did you do a little bit of everything? I know, I believe you got heavier in a commercial as time went on, or, or back then were you just taking whatever fell in your lap? Well, originally, like most people do, we did new home construction. Okay. That's all we did for about the first 10 years, and then we uh, transitioned over into uh, commercial work. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything from fast food places to grocery stores okay and and how how big was your team throughout those years was it always relatively a handful of trucks or was it mostly just you and donna working or what was the makeup well i was out in the field and my wife donna was in the office and we had probably four guys on mm -hmm. construction crew mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and let's see you you met you you ran into us finally in uh well when we first started in 1998 i believe but uh, talk about what did the business look like uh, financially for those, you know, several, you know, 20, 20 plus years, um, was, uh, were you always making money? Were you losing money here and there? What was their financial health like? Well, the first, we joined, uh, SGI in, uh, November of 1999. 99. Okay. And the reason I did that was that we had always struggled mm -hmm. to make payroll and pay our bills and everything else right and um i could never figure out why we were in that position because i was working 80 hours a week to me uh, i'm working 80 hours a week how can i be struggling for money sure sure so we kept getting these postcards and faxes to show you how <laughs> far back this was flash faxes i remember those yeah yeah, from uh, this company called PSI, this organization PSI, and I finally told Donna, I said, we've got to do something because what we're doing is not working. Right, right. You know, so I went to a profit day in Atlanta, uh, I think it was in November 99, and, and heard the presentation and decided to join then. And the reason was we knew we weren't, I was an excellent plumber, still am, but I did not know how to run a business. Right. Right. And Donna came back, came from a veterinary technician background, so she didn't know how to run a business. And how we managed to stay in business the first 10 or 15 years, I had no idea. <laughs> well, you just worked yourself, worked it until until it, it worked enough, I guess. But, uh, yeah. But but certainly you you saw it sounds like that uh, at that at that time you could uh, you could do something more than what you had been uh, doing and uh, from from profit day back then uh, there were no set aside EPs you went right to the main event which back then was was summit do you, do you remember where your first summit was at St Louis what well, was St Louis okay yeah that's the, that, I know you're old school when you're coming back to the original stomping ground to St. Louis. So, uh, so you go there for a, a, I'm sure it was probably a full week because that even predates me. And uh, what when you left there, what are some things, I know this was a while ago, but what are some main things that you took away 
uh, that you needed, to, you guys needed to do right away. So for someone that's new that might listen to this, well, you know, what are some some things you go? You got to do this right away. Well, going back to the uh, to why we joined was that with Donna and mine's background not being in business, we knew something was wrong. We were doing something wrong. But we just did not know what. Sure. So when I went to Profit Day and listened to the presentation, I said, these people know what they're talking about. Right. And this is what we need to turn this thing around and be successful. Mm-hmm. But what I took away from my Profit Day was, and I'm so glad I did it, was to get out of construction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing I got out of, get out of construction, get into service and repair, and you'll make a lot more money, which has been so true. Yeah. How did you, um, how did you grow? I mean, I always am amazed and, and admire people that, that take that big leap of faith because you're, you know, I, I know for sure you weren't living comfortably because you're working so much, but still that's all you knew. And then to transition to service is a big leap. So how did you grow? How did you get out of the, the construction business and then at the same time grow your service business? Did you just turn it off and say, hey, guys, we're not we're not doing your work anymore, and then you sweat and start knocking on doors? I've heard all sorts of things over the years. Well, we had always done some service work on the side mm-hmm. uh, in addition to our uh, uh, construction work we had two guys that did just service work but uh i learned to say the hardest word that there is to say in business and that is no yeah. right so just knew i had to get our construction work because it was it was just too much trouble yeah. for what money we were making right and i just it took about two years to finish up some stuff we had going and and uh just had to learn to say no to people when they asked. Sure, sure. And at the same time, you're, you're growing your service business. You're trying to, to just provide excellent service, and so I'm sure there's you know customers are passing your name around even more. Um, I know just to, in knowing your story a bit, a big thing for you and, and big thing for many of the guys is uh, you know just trying to Im- improve improve the the perceived value of your business in terms of uh, like improving your image, right? And that was part of part of your transition back then was getting the guys in uniforms and doing the shoot the floor savers and eventually wrapping trucks and all that stuff, wasn't it? Yes. Well, I've always said if you want to make a professional, if you want to get a professional price for your work, you've got to look professional and talk professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you kind of, if I did a radio commercial that said that um, we won't show up in your ha- at your house wearing a torn blue jeans and a beer shirt that advertises our favorite charity. <laughs> right. So, our favorite beer charity. Right, right. <laughs> if you don't look like you're worth it, you won't get it. Exactly, exactly. And and and, and speaking of, of get it, that that price, if I, I'm not mistaken, pricing was a huge thing too, right? Because I mean, you obviously were working around the clock before, and you weren't making any money, so there probably was a was a revenue issue in terms of, uh, uh, and that meant uh, you weren't priced exactly where you needed to be. Do you remember how much your prices went up in those early days? I think at the time back in 2000, or when we joined TSI in, in, in uh, 1999, we were $65 an hour, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trying to get as many calls in a day as we could. Sure, sure. Yep. And so you were just, just working around the clock and, and jumping from one job to the next and, and never quite making anything. Another big thing I think um, a lot of guys uh, are afraid to do, but you did, is uh, a service fee too, correct? 
Correct. Yeah. What were there any nerves uh, initially? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. We 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 banned banned that back and forth, battered that back and forth between Don and I for a long time about charging a service fee. Yeah. And uh, we were scared to death to do it. Right. So we finally just said we've got to do this. And most people said, Yeah, okay, no problem. Right. Yeah. And it's it's amazing because now you know in early days we had. Maybe ten out of a hundred say no because of the service fee. Now it's probably two out of a hundred. Yeah, yep, and that's something else. Um, did you guys and you guys have a club membership in place too? Was that something uh, that happened early on, or was that a later addition? That was that was a later addition. I don't really know how many club memberships we have now. It's probably a couple hundred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, if the owner does not believe in club memberships, his employees are not going to believe it, and they're not going to try. And those that that business, I'm sure, has helped us. Uh, you know, take take care and help those those down times that are always traditional town times. You're able to you know book those inspections, and it's it it level levels the business out a little bit. Last time I looked at the numbers, we never went and did a club inspection without coming out with eight nine hundred dollars. Right, right. Yeah, and and that's just part of what you you guys always ran an inspection, you know, complete inspection of the home, right? And you always gave three options, right? Correct. Yep. When did yeah? When did you when did you get a board on the options thing? I think that's something a lot of technicians kind of struggle with a little bit at first. Uh, was that was that something you you were able to buy into right away, or did that take time? That took some time because when we started this and started doing the presentations and stuff, of course, everybody hears it from their employees. We're not salesmen. We're plumbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I explained to them, I said, you're not a salesman. You're going out there as a professional, uh, a highly skilled, trained professional, to present options to people that are in their best interest, and they decide what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're, not to, you're not trying to sell them anything. You're just trying to make their life better. 100%. Let them decide what they're going to do with their home. Yep. Correct. I totally agree. Um, just kind of jumping around with some of the basics. Uh, how did you guys previously answer your phones? Was Donna always answering it, or, or was that something you put a new priority on once you joined that, you know, every phone call is answered with a live person? And how did that work? Yes. We, Donna, Donna was, she was the only one in the office at the time, and she'd answer the phone. She may not we may not get four calls a day you know she's doing a lot of sewing and uh sure. you know just odds and ends stuff and uh but now we probably get i don't really know it's probably 30 or 40 calls a day now right right yep and you gotta you gotta grab those opportunities as they come in um i think you you mentioned uh just a moment ago uh numbers and uh you know you joined originally because you didn't have the business background and you didn't know what you didn't know, and a big part of that is is the you know the financials of of the of running a successful business. So talk about your your education in the numbers. Uh, how did you get yourself up and running with where you needed to be and your percentages? And did you work with Patty Myers way back then, or who? How did you get your your books set up and and understand what key performance numbers you needed to hit daily so you, you could make money uh, every single day versus just you know at the end of the month go where did it all go? Well, the biggest thing we've done over the years is never miss a meeting. Mm. We've been to every expo since we joined. Right. And Rebecca Castle used to do the 
financial oh, okay. presentation okay. way back when. Yeah. And, of course, that was Donna's responsibility or her wheelhouse as far as the business went. It was keeping the numbers and the um, all that stuff. And she said she the more we went to the meetings, the more we knew, the more we understood what these numbers were and, more importantly, what they meant. Yeah. And Rebecca did a class, I don't know how long ago, that went over all this stuff. And Donna said just all of a sudden it clicked with her. Mm. She understood it. All that stuff we'd learned previous years came together in that one meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something, it's amazing. Um, there's a lot of value in, in going to Expo and going to trainings, even if you've gone to them uh, several times before. I always hear members say, um, yeah, I've been to that whatever training before, two or three times. And that one time I went something clicked and like it just opened my whole eyes to something sometimes i guess it just takes several times for a message to sink in i I, i'm assuming you find that to be true as well yes yes for sure Uh, and going to the meetings is the most important thing anybody can do that is it that is in this organization because not only do you learn a lot from the stage you'll learn as much or more talking to other members in the hallway Mm -hmm. right at lunchtime Right. Because whatever problem you're facing, somebody's already faced it and solved it. Yep, exactly, exactly. And you, and you get to hear it from someone that's living it, not just necessarily someone from SGI, where it just comes with a different tone or a more believability, I guess. So, um, so. Well, I read a, read a quote last night that said, you need to learn from the mistakes of others because you won't live long enough to make them all yourself. <laughs> well... There's a lot of people in this organization that have learned things the hard way, and, and I've always admired everyone, including yourself for sure, is uh, willing to share what they've learned from their mistakes. And, and that, you know, that's what we hear from the membership all the time. We, we you know, we love what SGI does, but, uh, but when you go to the meetings, that's that's when you, you, you your eyes are opened up even more because everyone is so willing to give of themselves, which is what I always have loved about this group. Uh, that's right. Speaking of meetings, internal meetings, you became a, a believer in training, I know. Um, what, is, uh, what did your training look like then, and, and what is it now? Are you guys, uh, I think you used to meet on Tuesdays uh, you're, way back when. Is that still happening? Are you guys, uh, before you left, were you guys meeting daily? What did your, uh, what did your, your, your meeting um, outlook look like every, uh, every week? Well, we used to have a, a full staff meeting every Tuesday, and most of it was just going over uh, invoices from the week before. If somebody had an issue and try to solve, you know, if it was a technical issue that we'd had a recall on, we discussed it as a group to avoid that problem in the future and train the guys in that. And then uh, the hardest thing we've ever had to do to get to do the guys to do is role play. Oh, sure. Or practice, as we prefer to call it. Right, right. um, You cannot really do that training in-house that well. Mm -hmm. You have to send them outside to do the training. Mm -hmm. Because what we found out was I could stand up there and tell them all this stuff, and they just sort of roll their eyes. Right. If, and we've taken a lot of our techs to expos and sent them to outside training, and they'll hear the exact same thing from someone else or from the stage, and they'll say, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. <laughs> so they got to hear it from a third party to make, for them to really get with it. Yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you, you've seen a lot of change in um, 
and just how people and how plumbers are, and I hear this a lot from, from guys that have been in the industry for a long time. So um, when, when you were recruiting people now, so you're, you're looking for people, well, obviously when you were looking back, you know, just a couple years ago, whatever, what were some qualities of, of successful plumbers that you were, were always looking for? I mean, and you didn't hire just, just everyone that had the technical background, correct? You would, you would grow them up too? Correct. Well, in Tennessee, um, well, everyone works under my license. Okay. Some states are hamstrung by each individual tech has to be licensed. Right. Right. In Tennessee, it's not that way. Mm-hmm. So we prefer to hire someone based on personality and people skills and teach them how to do plumbing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't have to hire an experienced plumber. Right. Because we always say if you hire someone now that has never worked for PSI companies, works for Johnny Jackleg, you have to be <laughs> stupid out of them before you get them, <laughs> get them on board. Yeah. What What are some of the personality traits of, of your most successful plumbers? What was something when you would sit there at your desk and, um, you know, during an interview and go, man, there's something about that guy. I like it. I like him. And uh, sure enough, he became, you know, he learned the trade and he became successful. Are there certain personality traits you can you can put a finger on? Well, what we always did and still do, the first two interviews are with one of the ladies in the office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, if they cannot talk to her and impress her and make her feel comfortable, we don't hire them. Right, right. Because ninety percent of the people that our people deal with are women, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. and you know I've had situations where one of the ladies would do an interview and I, she would come back to me and I said, "What do you think?" And she said, "No." I said, "Okay, that's all I need to know." <laughs> so I, really I need to know. know. <laughs> you know, I don't care if the world's best plumber if he if he can't talk to people and be sociable and, and nice to, to anybody and everybody. We don't need him. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And then you would do the final third interview, or, or after the two, you'd be okay extending an offer? Well, we would extend an offer, and what we would do is, is the final setup was that we would put him in a room with all the other technicians mm-hmm. and tell them that they could ask him anything, and he had to answer honestly, and he could ask them anything, and they had to answer honestly. Wow. Okay. And they made the final decision whether we hired this person or not because he was going to have to work with them, not me. Right. That's great. That's interesting. Okay. If they didn't feel like he, that person was a fit, we didn't hire them. Mm-hmm. And what I always told people, I said, you're not here to impress me. You're here to impress them. Oh, that's awesome. I like that, Steve. Um, then I guess, you know, once they, they get through that gauntlet and, and they uh, they join the company, they begin uh, riding along, right? And and how how long would someone ride along with your guys? And would you switch them up or did they get fixed with one, maybe your top, your top plumber? We would run them from anywhere from six months to a year as, a, as an apprentice or a, a, a trainee. We don't call them helpers. We call them trainees. Okay. Okay. Because that's what we hire them for to train them, not just be a helper. Sure. Sure. And, uh, yeah, we would put them with our best technicians for a while, but they would circle through all of them at mm-hmm. some point because everybody does something a little different. Their presentation is a little different. Yeah. Uh, the way they do, the way they approach the job is a little different. So they picked up the best habits of all of them. Yeah. 
How, how did you, uh, what was, uh, were you just relying on your guys in the field to say, yeah, Joe understands, uh, he, he knows how to do this technical part of the job, he knows to do that that part of the job, or would you would you bring them the new, the, the trainees in and, and talk with them that way to, to kind of verify that they're learning what they need to learn, or what did that look like for you guys? Well, that was up to the technicians they worked with to determine whether they were going to make it or not. Right, right. Um, that, uh, and like I always told the, the, the older guys, I said, and what we've run into before and so a lot of people do is you hire someone new that is that has the potential to be really good. Mm-hmm. Your older guys will not train him because they're afraid he will take their job. Right, right. And I always told my guys, you got to train this guy to be as good or better than you are or you're going to lose your job. Right, <laughs> right. Because you guys are all, yeah, you got to lift. You're all lifting the company up. You got, you guys all need to be productive and to be Correct. to be a, to have a successful company that keeps growing. I like that. Um, talk about um, how about incentivizing guys. I mean, you guys, I'm sure, did scoreboards. That's something we've always preached about from forever and ever. Uh, what are some other ways you motivated guys to keep hitting what the average ticket you needed? Um, did you, um, I think you, if I remember correctly, you would do some kind of a, a, a payout at your Tuesday meetings or am I getting that incorrect? What did you guys do? Well, we have a bonus program. Uh, of course they've got their daily goals and if they exceed their goal, they get, uh, 1%. So like their goal for the month is $40,000, okay. which is a low number. Yep. Uh, they get, if they reached or exceeded that goal, they would get, say like four hundred dollars and if they reach 45 they get 450 dollars okay and then we would present those checks to them in the meeting so the other guys could say uh well i need to be doing what they're doing right (laughs) yeah incentivize the guys that are doing it and motivate the guys that aren't i like that correct um How did you monitor? Because you 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 know you always had a you're running multiple trucks. Were you always monitoring every uh, you know every ticket as it came in to see if oh you know he just got service fee only or oh man what you know you didn't your options look look kind of rough here. What was that you that was keeping an eye on every ticket for a long time before before you kind of started uh, backing off the business a bit? Yes, what we would do, and we still do, if a guy goes out and gets two service fee only first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. he goes home for the day. Okay. Because he's not on his game, whatever the problem is, he's going to cost you more money that day than he's going to make. Yeah. He's just, he gets two service fees in a row first thing in the morning, he's, he's just not he's just not on top of it, and he needs to go home. Right. And then do you just have a conversation with them the next morning to see what was going on? I mean, you know, we all know people have personal lives that can interfere with business or, or you know, what, what does that look like? How do you try and, and, and uh, change that behavior? Well, we have a uh, um, staff or we, we meet with that person individually. Mm-hmm. We have a, a review every six months mm-hmm. to go over their numbers, their individual numbers, and see where they're weak and see where they're strong and try to get them bring up their weak numbers and keep their strong numbers strong and discuss anything problems they're having and what they've started doing lately is the guys will put their phones in their shirt pocket and hit the record button oh wow while they're talking to the client huh interesting okay go back and replay that and say well this is where you lost them right and it would have been better if you'd said this than that yeah yeah 
interesting. Hey, take advantage of technology. Why not? That's, Correct. That's great. Support for this podcast comes from Professional Plumbing Group. How many hours in a day do your plumbers waste because you don't have the right part for the job? This problem leads to additional issues and reduced productivity, poor customer satisfaction, and increases your cost per job. Professional Plumbing Group, or PPG, can help you solve all those issues and more. We have everything you need to help your business grow and become more profitable by allowing you to focus on plumbing, not inventory management. Go to AuthorizedPlumberProgram.com for more information. All right, let's let's change the, the, the topics here a little bit. Um, you know, as we I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, this inter- interview, that uh, you know we're talking because you you know you've checked the box. You and, Don, and Donna finally uh, sold the business and were able to retire officially, um, and you sold to to Nick Martin, who was a uh, he was your general manager at the time you guys sold, right? He was officially the general manager. That was his title. Talk to me about uh, Nick's trajectory with Steve Huff Plumbing. He started. Uh, did he start as a trainee or did he start as a plumber? Or how did he uh, join up with you guys? He came to us right out of high school when he was 18 years old. Oh, wow. And um, at that time, he was getting up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning going making biscuits at McDonald's and then going to Walmart changing tires on cars. Oh, wow. So he's a hustler. So we, we knew we he was a hustler and had a good work ethic. Yeah. And so we have a position for him at that time so we kept his name and called him back that's just like in june of i can't remember what year it was but uh that fall he came on board then okay okay and how and i guess what he he went through your training program of six months a year whatever um when did you realize he was going to be a really good plumber a really good service plumber was it right away it was pretty close pretty quick because he reminds me of myself at that age. He was very motivated, didn't care to work long hours, do whatever it took to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, I want to say he was a mini-me. <laughs> so he reminded, he reminded uh, of you, of, or he reminded um, himself, or you of him. That's interesting. Uh, when did he become like a, a team lead? Is that Was that his next step in his trajectory with Steve Hoff Plumbing? Did he become a team leader, or did he go right into like as an operations manager, or what was his next step? He became team leader uh, because he was motivated to do that, and that's something he just, a role he just fell in. To, on his own, he wasn't really assigned that role. He took the initiative to uh, to help the other guys out be better. Okay. And so they knew they could call him with any, whether it be technical or communication issues, and and he just uh, he just thrived in that role. Correct. How long did how long was he kind of just an unofficial team leader before you know his next uh, his next step? I think he's been with us now. 13, 14 years, something like that, maybe 15. And it was probably five years in that he assumed that role on his own. Okay, okay. And uh, was he was he then next year operations manager, or did he? Did you elevate him to general manager? 
we elevated him to general manager. General manager. Now, talk to me about that's a big uh, that's a big transition, right? I mean, because you you were in that, that shoe those shoes before, where you went from you know basically a technician to a, a business owner, running learning how to run a business when you hooked up with with PSI. So he had to learn a lot of the you know um, the operational things uh, beyond just the field. So what did his education look like? Uh, and understanding all that went into running a business, did you uh, did he sit with you guys a lot, or did you send him to different trainings, or what did you do to get him up to speed on all the other facets of uh, running a service uh, company? All of the above. <laughs> okay. He would sit with us, and, and uh, well, especially trying to learn the uh, the office side of the business, which is the most difficult part to learn, mm-hmm. and the longest. Uh, learning curve to to get up to speed on. We sent him to outside training, mm-hmm. and um, he uh, he just he just fell into the role. I mean that was, and the reason he came to that position was that every year we would have the guys write down their three personal goals and three business goals oh, for the okay. next year and next five years. Mm-hmm. And one of his goals was to either own or run his own plumbing business by the time he turned 30. Oh, wow. Okay. And I said, I can help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. That's it, that's interesting how that worked out. What, did you know at that point he would have the ability to be a great leader to, to do that? Or, or, you know, did that come a little bit later once you realized that was a motivation of his? I knew he would be a great leader. He just, he just, some people you can just tell by the way they talk, the way they act, the way they carry themselves. Just, you know, you, you just get this sixth sense about them that they're, they're going to be the one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did he, uh, did he kind of take over uh, training right away too as a team lead and then later general manager? Or how long had he been doing that? Oh, he's been, he's been training. We sent him to the train the trainer class, mm-hmm. learning the lines, and that was a great class for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where he learned how to be a real, real trainer, mm-hmm. uh, how to approach training and the best way to do training, how to motivate the guys with the training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though, you know, he, he learned under you guys and, and finally kind of let him, you know, uh, take over the reins, and I know that at that point you guys were able to kind of step back and and enjoy uh, working, but not grinding. Um, but still, you had you know it's still your business, and you had to keep an eye on making sure he would he was hitting all the the numbers he needed to hit. Uh, were you guys just monitoring uh, like a, a DMR, or or how did you keep an eye on the business to make sure he was you know doing everything he needed to do to keep the business where you want it to be? Well, we got a. Uh... Uh, we got our DMRs and DMEs every day mm-hmm. through email, so we knew the numbers every day from the day before. Mm-hmm. So we could see if there was a, something going south that we could help him with. And he wasn't shy about asking for help when he needed it. That's good. That's good. Did you guys have regular uh, regular meetings uh, just to kind of you know to coach him through certain things, or or did you just trust? Did, did he you know you trusted him and he was rolling, and and you just kind of whenever he needed something, he'd come to you or or do you have something more official? Well, I've actually been out of the business probably seven or eight years already because my role, I did what most people need to do when they own a business is make themselves useless to the business. (laughs) That's your main goal when you start a business is to make yourself useless to the business. Yeah. 
So I'd make myself useless because Nick had taken over so much of my responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for um, when we decided to make this transition and, and sell the business, Donna would continue to go in there once a week on Tuesdays okay. and spend the office to cover any issues they were having and then that's how he got the training to do what he does now got it and it was finally donna that that you know you said you were ready to retire a while ago but but donna still kind of enjoyed uh, her role what what finally changed her mind <laughs> you nagging at her after a while <laughs> we were, she had I had wanted her to retire too for years yeah. and she just didn't feel like it was time that mm -hmm. she still had stuff to do and she still enjoyed what she was doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we were on our way to Arkansas to go on a motorcycle ride to the Ozark Mountains. Right. And we've got to go the full length of Tennessee through Memphis, which is eight hours from us. Mm -hmm. And when we crossed that Mississippi River into Arkansas, she said, it just, it just hit her. I'm done. Oh man. She said, "This is this is what I'd rather be doing than what I've been doing." So that was that was the moment. That's good for you guys. That's a that's a pretty ride. I know that stretch of highway being a St. Louis boy, so I've, I've drawn through that way more than a few times. That's yeah. pretty. That's a that, that's a pretty moment right there, rolling over the water. Uh, yeah. So what was the the official process then with with selling the business? To, I mean, did you just approach them and go, "Hey, we're ready to 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 take the next uh, you know the transition in our life, the next chapter, and uh, are you ready to buy it?" Or did it happen relatively quickly? No, we uh, we set everything up through an attorney, mm -hmm. and you know uh, we had the business evaluated. Okay, uh, we're a corporation, so we have stock. And most people make the mistake of selling their business as an asset sale, mm -hmm. or you're just selling the trucks and the tools and stuff, and that doesn't really work out for the owner. Right. So it was a stock sale, and we set all this up through an attorney and, and a, an accountant, and uh, the attorney handled all that. And it was really supposed to be a 10-year transition period, and that's the thing people don't understand. You're not going to sell your business decide to sell your business today and sell it tomorrow or in a year mm, mm -hmm. so the first five this has been seven years ago mm. the first five years we were there still helping nick learn all he needs to know right right and uh, then after we donna had her epiphany crossing the mississippi river on that motorcycle ride she said i'm gonna scoot this thing up we're gonna do this now okay okay so the price has already been set for the company when we first initiated this transition, mm -hmm. and uh, Nick agreed to speed up the process because there's still really three more years left on the agreement. To, but we still call Donna's on a call with him this morning, helping with something, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, he agreed to the, to to speed up the transition, and we closed in March of this year. Okay. Did he have? Had you given him shares in the business previously to kind of keep him locked in, or was he? Were you pretty much a sole owner before that? Don and I were 50-50 owners in the company. Okay, so he did not assume any ownership until you finally signed your names uh, in March to over to him. Correct. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Very good. Um, interesting. Uh, how did you find your attorney? Any any advice for for members that are are looking? To sell, I mean, you mentioned that that was kind of an interesting tidbit. It, it, what kind of attorneys were you looking at? Any advice for other members when looking for attorneys or, or uh, accountants? 
Well, this this uh, attorney, he was recommended to us by our accountant. Okay. And he's a tax attorney. Okay. And he's actually helped at least two or three other members that we know of mm -hmm. sell their business. Okay. Very good. So, he, he's, he's very familiar with PSI organization, and he does work with several other companies, PSI companies, um, other places in the country. That's great. That's great. So it, it so it was a gradual transition. This certainly did not happen uh, at a rush rushed pace. Um, any other tidbits or, or little uh, helpful nuggets for members looking to sell their business that maybe you wish you would have known or, or things that you said, hey, this was great that we did this that way or just any other little things that might help someone? Well, in order to sell a business, it has to be profitable. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to buy a business that's not making money. Right. Because the way you look at that is, how am I going to pay for this business? Mm -hmm. And you have to pay for it out of the profits of the company. Sure. So if you're going to buy a business and it's not making any profit, how are you going to make those payments? Mm -hmm. So it has to be a well-run, well-organized, profitable business for anybody to even look at it. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, see what were you, you guys were? weren't you? You were double-digit profit, right? When you were selling, correct. And then you'd been able to show those returns for how many years were they? You know, did you really feel like you needed to show that double-digit profit to to get the price that you wanted? Uh, I think we went back is either three or five years okay. on the financials. Mm -hmm. And it was a, m a multiplier of that profit, I'm assuming. Right. What? what just to give you an indication of how well Nick has done with the business, when I left there five years ago, we were $1.3 million, maybe 8% profit. And in seven years, he's grown it to $4 million almost, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe 12%. That's great. And he's gone from nine employees to almost 20. That's great. He, you, it, it's 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 gone the right direction. That's a good direction. <laughs> but you certainly helped him along the way. That's for sure. It sounds like you guys have, have been a good team, uh, and it, this has just been a great transition. Um, all right. So just a couple a uh, couple more questions for you. So now that uh, you know, now that you're you're officially retired, and I know you guys have taken long trips uh, on the Harleys for a long time. Uh, what are some of your favorite places you've gone? Is there anywhere you're looking to go uh, in the near future? One of the best trips we've had has been to Maine. Oh, okay. To Maine, and that was through the uh, White or uh, Green Mountains of Vermont, and you know it's beautiful up there. Okay. And our next trip is to Southern Utah. We want to go to Southern Utah. Okay. How long is that? How far away is that, that trip? Oh, gosh. That'll take four days just to get there. Oh, my goodness. Now, but, do you just point in a direction and go, or do you, do you script the whole thing out? We have a general direction mm -hmm. that we're going, and every night when we stop, we get up a paper map and just look and say, well, that looks like those look like good roads. We'll go that way tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> That's our, our theory on motorcycle rides is that if you know where you are, you're on the wrong road. 
<laughs> I like that. I like it. That's nice. You're just kind of able to, to chug along at your own pace, and uh, there's no rush. There's no itinerary. That's that's probably nice, especially when your whole life has been uh, a rush, rush, rush with with uh, running a business and, and keeping your eye on the numbers. It's nice to just not have to worry for a minute. That's awesome. Uh, just kind of in, in wrapping up, Steve, What? Um, just some general questions. What are two or three uh, biggest pieces of advice or things that maybe you did in the business that really helped you become successful that you would tell other members? There are just a certain nuggets that you're like, you always tell other people, hey, you got to do this, you get this straight, and you'll be okay. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, first of all, First of all, first of all, don't ever miss a meeting. Mm-hmm. Always go to the expos. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I know when we first going, we we're going to St. Louis. We could not afford to fly, so we'd drive eleven hours each way just to get to the meetings. Right, right. So that will be that will help you be successful more than anything is talking to other members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to raise your prices. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to charge a service fee. Mm-hmm. And what will happen is, as in my case, this organization will take you from being a plumber who owns a plumbing business to a businessman who just happens to do plumbing. I love that. And when you hit that point, you're you're on your way. I love that. That's great. That's great stuff. Um, there's a lot of people that will listen to this and know you and know what kind of heart you have. You have been such, you know, I think, you know, PSI has helped you, but you've also helped the organization and, and through the organization have touched a lot of lives. Uh, you've been a mentor of the year, uh, recipient or recipient with SGI at least once, if not a couple times. Um, why, what, what was, why did you feel the need to give back so much? I mean, you used to drive to profit days. You said, even you told me in a previous call, you'd still do it, even retired. Uh, why? And you, I, I can't even imagine how many phone calls you've taken over the years. Um, why why the, the, the reason, why the, the belief that you should give back to other people? Where does that come from? It comes from my upbringing. Uh, and the other thing is we've had so many members over the year help us be successful. Mm-hmm. And we just feel it's our turn to pass on that, what we've learned over the years to help other people get successful. Because once you get to this point where you have a business that's profitable that you can sell, it's a wonderful feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, I lost the train of thought there, Bob. Uh, oh, that's all right. But just what, why, <clears throat> why it, you know, why to be so giving of your time? Why to make such, you know, that's that was the question is why have you always just been so uh, so willing to do above and beyond? Because there are a lot of guys who go, I'm just busy. Even when you you got out of the business day to day, these other things you could have done other than take 20 calls or whatever, how many calls mm-hmm. a day you take from fellow members asking to pick your brain. But why why the the, the feeling and the, the of the the need to give. Like I said, it's just just uh, that's the way I was raised mm-hmm. to help other people, and I know the struggles I had early on, and I see other new members having the same struggles that I did. Right. And I want to help raise them up and get rid of those troubles they're having, make their life as easy and as enjoyable as mine is now. That's great. And even though we've sold the company, 
we're still available to any member who wants to call us. We're still available for profit days. You know, just because we don't own the company anymore doesn't mean we've we've broken ties with SGI. We're still here for you. I love it. I, 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 can, I can't tell you how many people have mentioned your name and I, with these interviews and interviews I've done for the magazine for over 15 years. I've heard Steve Huff's name, I think, more than anyone I can think of. So we appreciate all that you've done for us. Just in wrapping up, anything else you'd like to say to the membership or, you know, other contractors could hear this as well? Just, uh, I think you've, you've offered a lot of great nuggets, but any last remarks? Well, you don't want to get complacent. You don't want to reach a point where you think this is all it's ever going to be. Mm -hmm. Because there's always more out there. And for the new members, don't miss a meeting. Don't be afraid to walk up and talk to anybody, whether they're a $100,000 company or a $10 million company. They're going to talk to you. They're going to tell you what you need to know to get successful. Don't be shy when you're at a meeting. Yeah. I and what I tell them to do is, you know, they get overwhelmed at EP because they get fed so much information. Yeah. I said, just take what they give you in the order that they tell you to do it, and it will work. Yeah. I love it. Great stuff. Don't try to jump through four steps ahead, but, you know, just do what they give you. Take what they teach you and do it in the order they teach you, and you will be successful. I love it. I love it. Well, Steve Huff, thank you so very, very much for your time. Uh, just a really enjoyable conversation, but I always love talking to you, so I wasn't surprised this turned out well. So thank you, Steve, uh, and good luck with your your project of uh, managing that, that home. That you're, you said your son or your son-in-law? Son. Ah. <laughs> so you're back to your G doing some GC work for those who. That's right. That's right. <laughs> His son's building a I gotta, house. I gotta have something to do. I'm retired. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you again, my friend. All right, Bob. Thank you. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye bye. That's Steve Huff, formerly of Steve Huff Plumbing in Kingsport, Tennessee. Thanks for listening to the show. If you feel like you have a great story worth sharing that would also help other contractors, email me at bhouchin at yoursgi.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating. Remember, friends give fives. You've been listening to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International. Support for this podcast comes from Professional Plumbing Group. How many hours in a day do your plumbers waste because you don't have the right part for the job? This problem leads to additional issues and reduced productivity, poor customer satisfaction, and increases your cost per job. Professional Plumbing Group, or PPG, can help you solve all those issues and more. We have everything you need to help your business grow and become more profitable by allowing you to focus on plumbing, not inventory management. Go to AuthorizedPlumberProgram.com for more information. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a part of the Success Group International family. SGI is the largest member-owned best practices organization for independent residential services contractors. SGI provides its members a competitive edge through proven proprietary management tools and expertise, marketing programs, training, and group buying power, along with a highly active and eager-to-help membership. For more information about Success Group International, visit www. .yoursgi.com. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a production of the Aquila Investment Group, LLC, All Rights Reserved, 2020.